sounds pretty cool to me. Good morning. Uh, it it's thrilling for me every week to be with you guys, and but boy, isn't it just something special about Easter Sunday? We celebrate His resurrection every day, but even our world celebrates it today and doesn't know why. Unfortunately, many. So it's a thrill to be together as believers in Jesus Christ and say he is risen. Classic introduction in in church. Believers would go up to one another and one would say he is risen. And the responding would be he is risen indeed. And truly that's what we celebrate. Take your Bibles and turn to Matthew 28. If you do not have a Bible and need one, raise your hand and these guys will be glad to give you one. Matthew 28. Y'all notice what's going on in our sleepy little metropolitan area of Memphis, Tennessee this weekend. The atheists are having their national convention in our city. And one of the reasons they chose our city is because we are so anti-them. Now, the sad thing about that is an atheist whom you encounter, and I probably am guessing, probably am not, but you know many. The most loving person any atheist you know should know should be you. Does that make sense? Like I have some neighbors that I know are atheists, and I love to talk with dialogue. I have uh, two siblings. One uh, says he believes in God. His philosophy of life is me and God got our own thing going on. And I I think that's a country song, but I don't believe it's uh, biblical. And my other brother's philosophy of life is there is no God. So I love to have conversations. I love my brothers, and and I want them to know Jesus. But I love to to dialogue and interact. I would love to go to their convention and just say, I want you to know I love you. I care about you. Jesus Christ died for you. And they're going to go, oh, dog. I say, now let's, let's talk about why you don't believe in God. An honest, intelligent, intellectual discussion about why you don't believe in God. Because, notice the top of your handout today. We're going to be talking about the fact truth triumphs over death and resurrection. That's what we celebrate today. As I said earlier, every day as a believer, that Jesus Christ physically walked out of that tomb. And truth triumphs. But underneath that little subtitle, really what our focus is today is that truth matters. It matters. I respect every person's right to believe what they choose to believe. God gave them that intellect to choose to believe or not to believe. Doesn't mean it's the truth. Truth sets you free. Error keeps you in bondage. Atheists have every right to believe there is no God. Yet All the evidence of the universe screams out, God. Or, as Stephen Hawking said, aliens. Where'd we come from? Where did we come from? And if someone tells you they believe in evolution, what you need to do is hand them a Bible and say, it takes more faith to believe what you're believing than to believe this. Because it does. The evidence screams something designed our universe. We, as Christians, believe it was the God of the Bible. If you reject him, that's fine. Give me an alternative. And Stephen Hawking said the alternative is, well, I guess it's aliens if it's not evolution. Evolution doesn't make sense, doesn't fit the evidence, it's not logical. It takes genuinely, and I'm not being facetious here, it genuinely takes more faith to believe that than it does intelligent design. It does. So for us as believers, we need to articulate our faith, live it, love others who disagree, Why? Look at the top of your handout one more time. Because truth matters. Truth matters. I want to challenge you today about the resurrection. Is it the truth? Now, we say we believe that. I have heard, I have seen personally witnessed preachers preach. It does not matter if Jesus physically rose from the dead. 
If I were a preacher and I were preaching that, they should come and take me away. Because here's what Jesus said. Destroy this body, and in three days I will raise it up. His body, not his spirit, not his intellect, not his immaterial being, his physical body walked out of that tomb. And if it did not, as we shall see, he is a liar. And if he is a liar, why are we following him? Or he's crazy. And if he's crazy, why are we following him? Because that would make us crazy. So he's either the Lord of all, which he claimed to be. Again, you got people that say that he never claimed to be God in the Bible. They can't read. It's, it's all over the gospel. So he's either the Lord God of the universe, the eternal, self-existent I am. He is either that, he's crazy, or he's a liar. Famously, it's been put, he's either a liar, he's a lunatic, or he's Lord. That's who. So for us, if I were to go around this particular setting, I could go down to wherever the convention's being held, downtown, and I could walk in that room and say, how many of you believe he's a liar? How many of you believe he's Lord God? Probably get the exact opposite answer here. How many of you believe he's Lord God? Most of you would say yes. However, even in church, I've discovered over the years, particularly this Sunday, there are people that are at church because they're just appeasing a family member, thinking, well, maybe I ought to go to church every now and then. I'll pick Easter. That'd be a good time to go. And maybe they're not totally convinced that Jesus physically rose from the dead. If you're not, that's fine. Here's my challenge to you. Examine the evidence. That's what we're going to do today. I've never really done this. We've been here eight years, eight and a half, and I've never really done what I'm going to do today. Take the objections of the skeptics, their theories about what happened, and examine those in the light of history and say, okay, now I know what I believe. And there's one of the reasons why. This is the truth. Not because I believe the Bible and I'm an idiot. Here's what our people downtown would say to me. Because this fits the evidence. And once you have that discussion in a loving, compassionate way, then it becomes a moral decision. I reject Jesus because I don't want him to be Lord of my life. Not, not an intellectual decision. That's really important. Because it matters to us. And here's my challenge to you as we go through this today. Truth matters. Does it matter to you? Does it matter to you? Does it daily matter in your life that Jesus Christ is the truth? That he sets people free. And without him, you have no hope. Does it matter? Maybe you just kind of appreciate it. Everything's cool. Turn to Matthew 28. Does it matter? Is it the truth? Being a grandfather, I love to read grandfather stories, so I was reading one of those. I think I'm going to write a book called Cool Grandfather Stories that I have heard. So I was reading one this week about a grandfather, had, a, had his little four-year-old granddaughter with him, and, and he, was, he asked her, he said, tell me the story of Easter. What happened at Easter? See what she would say. Put, a little, you know, put her on his knee, and she's talking. She said, well... We'll call Grandy because that, that would be a good grandfather name, Grandy. Let's go with that. So Grandy said Jesus came and he died. They crucified him and he, he died on the cross for our sins. They took him down. They wrapped him up. They put him in a tomb. They rolled this giant rock in front of the tomb. And three days later, there was an earthquake everywhere. And Jesus came out. And when it was the big earthquake... The whole town ran down to the tomb when Jesus came out. And if he saw a shadow, there were six more months of winter, weeks of winter. He was so excited that his grandfather knew it, but a granddaughter knew it, but she missed a little of it, didn't she? She got more than most preachers get, unfortunately. Is it the truth? Because truth matters. 
Let me give you the context. Turn to Matthew 28, if you haven't already. Matthew 28, verse 1, is where we're going to start. Let me give you the context. You know the story. Let me give you just a little background. Jesus Christ has been crucified. He has been executed by professional executioners. The Romans took crucifixion, which was invented by the Phoenicians, and they perfected it through the most horrific way man has ever come up with to kill another man slowly and torture him to death. They were, they were professional soldiers whose job was to execute over a period of six hours slowly kill somebody. He's been crucified. He's been beaten prior to that in a scourging, which literally meant they beat you till your vital organs were exposed. That's a serious beating that your Lord went through, your Savior went through for you. So they're emaciated, beaten. The Bible tells us that they beat his face in the Messianic uh, in the prophecy in the Old Testament, that they beat his face to the point you could not recognize him. His visage was marred beyond recognition, the Old Testament says. That's a serious beating. So they've beaten him to that point. They've scourged him. They put him on the cross, got nails in him. The Bible says that when they came around, when they hung somebody on the cross, that they would break the legs so they couldn't rise up and get breath, so they would die quicker. When they came to Jesus, what did they do? You know the story. They did not break his legs. Why? He's already dead. He's had a spear shoved into his side. Blood and water both came out, indicating again a dead man. So he's been executed by professionals. Very important. Hang on to that. They've taken his corpse off. They've wrapped his corpse in 100 pounds of spices were put on him, and then he's wrapped extensively with strips of linen, almost like a mummy. They put him in a solid rock tomb. They took a 2,000-pound stone, and it was rolled in front of that tomb to seal it. Sixteen Roman soldiers are guarding it, and these are not the guys who called up because they didn't have anything else to do this weekend. These were gladiator-type soldiers. These were professional soldiers. The toughest men on the planet are guarding this tomb. They put a seal on it of the Roman Caesar, so if you'd mess with it, you would be answerable to Rome. That's the context, all right? Matthew 28, verse 1. After the Sabbath, after Saturday, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb where they had laid Jesus. Behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him. Remember who these guys were. And became like dead men. But the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know you seek Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come, see the place where the Lord lay. Go quickly, tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. Now, if this is a fable, if it's a fairy tale, if it's a myth, then there's no reason for us to be here because we're following something that's not true. Now, we can get together, we can enjoy each other, we can be good moral people, and, and we can each go our way if it did not happen. We're not accountable to Jesus Christ if it did not happen. He cannot save you from your sins. He cannot give you forgiveness can't give you eternal life. He can't give you peace, hope, joy. But if it is true, if it is true, he not only gives you all of those things, forgiveness of sins, heaven, paradise forever, peace now, hope now, joy now, 
a reason for existence, understanding what life is really all about, if it is true. He gives you all of that. And if it is true, everyone on planet Earth, including our friends downtown having their convention this weekend, your neighbors, your relatives, your friends, everybody on this planet that's ever existed or ever will exist is answerable to this man because he is God, if it is true. Do you understand now? This is what we say, but it's so true. If he did not rise from the dead, our faith is worthless. Everything we believe hinges on the fact Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Now, you can create a great society based on just what he taught, but it will not save anybody. It will not give you forgiveness of sins. It will just give you a good society. Jesus physically rose from the dead. Now, is it true? What I want to do over the next few minutes is look at some answers to that question. Did he rise from the dead? So I want to start with the skeptics. We'll give us some answers to them. We're going to look at their theories and just see what's the truth. Number one, these are the theories that the skeptics over time, and it's not all, but just kind of a summary of them, that they've come up with over time to say what really happened that first Easter Sunday. As Christians, we believe that he rolled back the stone and God, the second person in the Trinity, Jesus, the God-man, walked out of that tomb, destroyed this body, and in three days I will raise it up, and he did conquering sin and death so that we could be saved. That's what we believe. It matters. Is it the truth? Because if it's not, why do we believe it? Wasting our time. The skeptics say, no, 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 that's not what happened. Here's what happened. Number one, their first theory is everybody was hallucinating. Everybody was hallucinating. That is, every one of these eyewitnesses had the exact same hallucination and they saw Jesus alive after he was killed. So I did a little studying on that. Medical doctors and professionals who deal with people that hallucinate all the time said, number one, hallucinations require expectation. In other words, I have hallucinations all the time. If, if, for those who have hallucinations, they, the reason they have them, they're expecting to see a certain thing. And so they convince themselves or they're suggested to someone else, they expect to see it, and so they hallucinate that. Now, historically, think back for a moment. Friday, Jesus was crucified. As they took him from the Last Supper in the garden, they take him, they take him to the cross, and as the Romans take him, where are his followers? Are they all there excited, pumped up, that we're, we're right there with you, Jesus? No. Where's Peter? sitting by a fire cursing Jesus' name. I do, I do not know him. I didn't know him. I didn't know him. By God, I did not know him. That's what he said to a little servant girl at the fire. That's Peter, James, and John, Jesus' three closest followers. The only one that was at the cross was John. And he was there with Jesus' mother. Are they ready, willing to fight for Jesus uh, after he's dead? They buried him. They put him in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. And the Bible tells us they were devastated, disappointed in him, disillusioned, destroyed emotionally, and they were going back to their former lives. For example, he said, I don't know about you guys, I'm going to go back and fishing." They did not believe, what they believed was this, it was over. We thought he was the Messiah, but he wasn't. Remember we saw last week, what did they want the Messiah to do? Chunk the Romans out, set up the kingdom of Israel on earth. Are you the son of David? That's what they thought. That's what they hoped. Chanting on Monday, Hosanna, that he who comes in the name of the Lord and on Friday crucify him. They're not here. They're not excited. Expectation. They're not expecting to see Jesus. So why would they hallucinate that they saw Jesus? They weren't expecting to see him. Secondly, hallucinations medically are things that happen with an, an individual. 
we know that at least, at least 515 people saw Jesus on separate occasions, 12 different occasions, after he rose from the dead. They didn't all have the exact same hallucination in different places, that large a number. The other thing is, when they went to the tomb, they didn't say, we saw Jesus alive. What did they say? Somebody stole the body. We saw an empty tomb. But then these people, after the resurrection, the ones, the eyewitnesses that saw him after the resurrection, what did they say? We saw Jesus alive. You see the difference? When they went to the women, went to the tomb, and then when they went back, when we saw, somebody took the body. The tomb is empty. But after they saw Jesus, after he appeared to them, after they saw him alive, Thomas was able to touch him. They said, we saw him alive, not the tomb's empty. Things have changed. We'll talk more about that later. Peter, in, in his second letter, put it this way. We did not come up with cleverly devised fables. When we talked to you about Jesus, we were eyewitnesses. Histori history shows that to be the case. Another point about this, this idea of hallucination, they were starting conning everyone into following Jesus. Who were the first people that went to the tomb and saw that it was empty, that were Jesus followers? Who was it? Women. Women. See, the Bible just tells you the truth. It doesn't lie. It's not trying to trick anybody. It tells you the truth. Why is that important? Women in that culture were considered property. Women's testimony was invalid, would never be accepted. You could not, a woman could not be a witness in court. But the Bible just tells you the truth. They went, they saw the empty tomb. In the, in the parallel passage over in Luke, puts it this way. They looked in and they were perplexed. They didn't understand. Not, he rose from the dead like he said. Their idea was, somebody stole the body. Where is he? So they run to tell Peter and John. Look at Matthew 28, verse 11. While they were going, behold, some of the guard came to the city and reported to the chief priests all the things that had happened. When they had assembled with the elders and consulted together, they gave a large sum of money to the soldiers, saying, Tell them, his disciples came at night and stole him away while we slept. Well, the body is gone. They're admitting that the body is gone. Well, think about the women one more time. They go to Peter and John and say, The tomb is empty. And the Bible tells us, again, in the parallel passage, Peter and John looked at him and said, That's nonsense in the Greek. That's nonsense. And they run to the tomb themselves. And Peter, it's really interesting, because Peter's always the one who's going to chop off somebody's ear. Peter just kind of looks in, because where are they? They're not, like, in the parking lot. They're in the tomb. So he just kind of looks in. John just runs past him, just pushes him out of the way and runs in. Very important statement. John runs in, sees that Jesus is gone. And the Bible says he believed. He believed. Finally got it. We're going to see that that happened to every one of them. Why? Not because Jesus was a great teacher. Not because he did great miracles. Not because he walked on water. Not because he changed water to wine. Not because he raised people from the dead. Not because he healed people of congenital blindness and being crippled their whole lives. But because he rose from the dead. Because he rose from the dead, they were changed radically and forever, just like you were. The only reason you can be changed is because he rose from the dead. Were they all hallucinating? Now, the other, the other point about the hallucination, if that's the case, if they were all hallucinating and Jesus was still in the tomb and he really didn't rise from the dead, why didn't the Romans or the Jew, the Jew, his enemies, why didn't they just go get the body and show it to them? Because there was no body there for them to go get. He had risen. Second point, probably my favorite, and these are supposed to be intelligent people that come up with these theories. The second theory of the skeptics is what's come to be known over the years as the swoon theory. 
swoon theory. What, that, what they say in that one simply is that Jesus just passed out on the cross. He really didn't die. He really didn't die. He just passed out. We've already dealt with that basically. By the time they put him on the cross, what kind of shape was he in? How much blood do you think he had lost by being scourged where your vital organs are exposed? The crown of thorns, the beating that he took. By the time they put him on the cross, he had lost enough blood. He wasn't going to live very long. And they stab him in the side and blood and water comes out. They don't break his legs. What was it that they were wrapping, so he came off the cross, he was still alive, and they wrapped him up while he was still alive, and they put him in the tomb and sealed it while he was still alive? Would the Roman guards have allowed that to happen? If they did, they would have been executed themselves for failing in their duty. He didn't just pass out. The soldiers never would have allowed that to happen. Just, it's silly. And besides that, they rolled the stone into place. Who moved the stone out of the way for him? Sucker weighed 2,000 pounds. The Hulk wasn't there that day, I don't think. Who rolled it out of the way? He just passed out. He's that weak, and he got up, and he was able to push that stone out of the way. He got up and pushed it out of the way, all right, because he was God. He didn't pass out. He died. The next theory is the stolen body theory. We just hit on that one briefly in Matthew 28. It became the popular one, and history says this as well, not just that it's in the Bible. History records. Josephus, who was not a Christian, he was a Jewish historian, and others reported this is what was being said, that they had stolen the body. Extra-biblical writers, not the Bible itself. His enemies circulated the story. Once they couldn't find him, that his disciples had stolen the body to start this new religion. Again, how did they get past the Roman guards? The guards would have been killed themselves. If Jesus got away, then they would have been killed. Now, one last point about this, and then we'll move to the next one. At this point in time, after Jesus has been crucified, we've mentioned it again, but I want to mention it at this point to emphasize. Were these followers of Jesus, Peter, James, John, the other eight, as well as the other followers, were they excited and thrilled and ready to follow Jesus to the death? The answer to that is no. They were not. They were cowards. They were afraid. They did not believe that he was the Messiah. And they were terrified of the Jews, terrified of the Romans. Why would they try to sneak past the Roman guards, steal this body, and start a new religion? They wouldn't. It's not even logical. It doesn't make sense. But after the resurrection... After they saw Jesus alive, every one of them were willing to die, and most of them did, die as a follower of Jesus. They were martyred. Every one of them was transformed into a full-time evangelist for Jesus Christ. Every one of them. They considered it an honor. You read Paul's writings. Read James. Read others. Every Peter, every one of them was thrilled that they might die for the name of Jesus Christ. They considered it an honor. And it wasn't just the ones in the Bible. Read church history. There are many. Polycarp in A.D. 14 was the bishop of the church at Smyrna. And the Romans had him. They were going to execute him. And they said, if you'll simply deny Jesus Christ, we'll let you live. He said, how could I deny the one who's given me everything who died for me? Do what you will. And that was just one example. There were many. Why, what changed them? The Bible tells us in Acts, these same cowardly, fearful people, Peter, James, John, and all the others. The Bible tells us in the book of Acts that within 100 years, really a shorter period of time than that, within a few years, over 10,000 Jews had converted from Judaism followers of Jesus Christ because of their testimony. And Acts puts it this way. They turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ. What changed them? What changed them? He rose from the dead. That's what changed them. Nothing else explains it. Because he had already been a great teacher, right? They'd already, they had spent time watching the guy change the molecular structure of things. This is water? No, no. Now it's wine. Walk on top of water. All the things they had seen didn't change them like the resurrection. 
the resurrection changed him. That's why Paul writes over and over, we've been raised to new life in Christ. It's not just that you go to heaven. It's you've got life now. Hope, peace, everything people want. The next theory is that they, got, that they went to the wrong tomb. I love this one. These are supposedly intelligent people. They went to the wrong tomb. Number one, it hadn't been, it had been about three days. And you know where they had put, they had wrapped this guy up, their leader, their loved one, and they had put him in the tomb. They had watched the Romans roll the stone into the place. The Romans were there guarding it. They couldn't find that tomb again. They went to the wrong tomb. When the women went to the tomb, they come back and tell Peter and John. And Peter and John say, show us. They just pushed us aside and ran to the tomb. Did they go to the same wrong tomb? They ran to, they knew where the tomb was. If, again, if this were the case, why didn't the enemies just produce the body of Jesus? If they went to the wrong tomb, no, 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 it's not that one, it's over here. Why didn't they do that? One last point. Where did the tomb come from? He borrowed it from whom? Joseph of Arimathea. Do you think he knew which tomb he had loaned them? Of course he did. This one is just stupid, but yet it's articulated by critics. And then the final one is Jesus was just a man or just a myth, but he really wasn't God, please. That's their theory. He really didn't exist. Well, let's start with that one. There are 39, at least 39, ancient sources, not the New Testament, 39 ancient sources outside the Bible that refer to Jesus of Nazareth. People like, Josephus and others, who refer to Jesus. Josephus, again, not a believer, a Jewish historian, wrote these words around the end of the first century. There was about this time Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such men as received the truth with pleasure. He drew over to him many Jews, also many of the Greeks. This man was the Christ. And when Pilate had condemned him to the cross, upon his impeachment by the principal man among us, those who had loved him from the first did not forsake him, for he appeared to them alive on the third day. The divine prophets having spoken these and thousands of other wonderful things about him. And even now, the race of Christians, so named from him, has not died out. Think about this. Again, all his miracles, all his signs. No one, even in the Bible, no one historically denied that Jesus did those things. He did things a mere human being could not do. The way he taught, even his enemies admitted, he doesn't teach like a normal man. He teaches with incredible authority. All the prophecy that he fulfilled. How did he choose where to be born? In Mary's womb, how did he choose to be born in Bethlehem? He's always been God. C.S. Lewis writes these words in Mere Christianity. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic or on a level with the man who says he is a poached egg or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the Son of God, or else a madman or something worse. And Lee Strobel, who's written some incredible books, The Case for Christ, The Case for Faith, The Case for uh, Resurrection, The Case for Creation, just great pastor, teacher, says this. People will die for their beliefs if they sincerely believe they're true. We see it every day in the news, don't we? But people won't die for beliefs they know are false. In other words, why would his followers go to all that trouble, steal the body, destroy the body, and start this new religion if they knew the whole thing was a lie? They wouldn't. They were terrified. 
They wouldn't do it. Now, secondly, those are the skeptics' theories, and they're the answers to those. I want you to see answers in history. Turn to 1 Corinthians 15, if you would. 1 Corinthians 15. Think about it this way before we get into the Scripture. When Jesus rose from the dead, at that moment in history, they didn't have mass communication like we have today. They didn't even have the New Testament written out like we have today. What did they have? They had a man who they believed to be the Messiah, who had been crucified, buried, and had risen again, and now they believed he was the Christ, the Messiah, their Savior. That's 2,000 plus years ago. How did the world, how have we survived? How did the church make it all these years? That's all just a small band of people who believed this guy was the Christ. And they've made it, survived. We're in the church age. We're living proof. He still changes lives. He will continue to do so until he comes back. What made the difference? Because he's exactly who he said he was. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the bread of life. I am. I am. He's God. He raised himself from the dead. He allowed himself to be crucified in the first place. The Bible says he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. No other place. The reason the church has survived and to this day, much criticism, particularly in our country, toward Christians, one-third of the world's population still follows this man. One-third. Why? The most controversial figure that's ever walked the planet. You want to get somebody fired up? Just mention Jesus. I was talking to a friend of mine this morning, and his son is in the Marines. He's here. He's stationed in Hawaii. I told him I'm not praying for him anymore. But he was talking about a friend of his that was a chaplain. So I'm joking with him. I said, do they need any chaplains in Hawaii? I don't mind. You know, I'll come over. He said, you don't want to be a chaplain right now. I've got a friend of his that's a naval chaplain, and they're thinking about kicking him out because he has an assistant who is gay, and he explained to him that he didn't think that was right. And so the Navy's thinking about kicking him out of being a chaplain. Amazing the, the abuse that Christians take. Just for, just for saying I'm a Christian just for articulating that I'm a follower of Jesus. Hey, read the Bible. Didn't Jesus tell you that was what was going to happen? What did he say? The world will hate you. Why? Because they hated me first. Hated me first. He said in Mark or John 6, if you want to follow me, you're going to have to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And the Bible says, like three verses later, many left and followed him no more. They didn't want to pay the price. See, truth matters. Jesus said, you want to follow me? Come on, it's no longer about you, and we're going to go die. They said, I don't know about that. But after he rose from the dead, how many of them turned away? None. They said, we're in. We're in. Because this man rose from the dead. He rose from the dead by his own power. Look at 1 Corinthians 15, that empty tomb. You see, Jesus, Josh McDowell's great book from years ago, was more than a carpenter. More than a carpenter. He's God in the flesh. 1 Corinthians 15, 1, Paul writes, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which you also are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received. I want you to notice a little phrase in verse 3. First of all, what that means, what we're about to see, 
what, what Paul is saying is that that is a primary tenet of all that we believe as Christians. The number one article of our faith is as follows, he's saying. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, the Old Testament. He was seen by, excuse me, they, according to the Scriptures, verse 4, he was buried and he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. But you ought to write in the summary of your Bible, if you do, my study Bible at home, here's what I've got written. Verse 3 and 4, that's the summary of the Gospel. That's it in a nutshell. Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he rose again. That's it. Everything else flows from that. That's the summary. That's the outline. This empty tomb. Now, again, it's either truth, and it matters, or it's a fable, and it doesn't. It's all about truth. History's proven it. Our lives prove it. It is the truth, the empty tomb. Secondly, it's the eyewitnesses. Look at verse 5. He was seen by Cephas, that's Peter, then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at, at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present. Some have fallen asleep or passed away. After that, he was seen by James and by all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen by me also, as one born out of due time, the apostle Paul. Many eyewitnesses, many. Peter, Paul, I love what he says here. He was seen by over 500 brethren at once, most of whom, excuse me, most of whom are still alive. You know what he was saying? If you don't believe me, go ask them. They saw him. It's not just me. But then he talks about himself. You study the life of the Apostle Paul and realize where did he come from? Talk about changed lives. What was his vocation before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus? His vocation was enemy of Jesus. That was his vocation. To persecute, imprison, and if possible, kill followers of Jesus. That's what he did for a living, and he was exceptional at it. He was a Pharisee. He was on the Sanhedrin. He, he considered himself sinless. What an arrogant pig. But Jesus said, I'll make you the apostle to the Gentiles. Isn't that, doesn't God have a sense of humor? Man, was he changed? Was he changed? He took the gospel to Europe, our ancestors. Jesus changed his life. He changed my life. He was born again, he changed yours. These eyewitnesses saw him. And they said, you kill us if you want to. We know he's alive. We know he's alive. See, all the changed lives, it's all of Tarsus. Within a few years, thousands and thousands of Jews began to follow Jesus. Left behind Judaism and Jesus as the Messiah. They began to worship on Sunday instead of Saturday. Why? What day of the week did Jesus rise from the dead on? They changed. They changed the day they had had worship. How long has that gone? Thousands of years. It began as an addition, and then it became everything. He is the Messiah. They began to baptize their converts. Why? Because Jesus was baptized. They began to celebrate the Lord's Supper, which had been their Passover meal as Jews, but then when they celebrated the Lord's Supper, they didn't celebrate the animals. They didn't celebrate the exodus. What did they celebrate? The body and the blood of Jesus Christ. Because they believed he was the Christ, the Messiah. Matthew was killed in Ethiopia. Mark was dragged through the streets until he was dead. Peter, Simeon, Andrew, and Philip were crucified. James was beheaded. Bartholomew was flayed alive. Thomas was pierced with spears. James was thrown from the temple and stoned to death. Jude was shot to death with arrows. Paul was boiled in hot oil and beheaded. You know why? Because Jesus rose from the dead and they believed it. They believed it. I'm going to follow him. He rose from the dead. And he said, I am God. I'm going to follow him. 
And the last point here is that under this is the reliability of the New Testament. There's a lot of people, the critics, others will say, well, the New Testament is just books written by a bunch of different guys. It's not true. Again, archaeology has proven it over and over again. Luke, in his gospel, references 32 countries, 54 cities, nine islands, without one mistake. There are over 5,000 Greek manuscripts of the New Testament, handwritten prior to 1500, that are still in existence today. That's far more than Plato or Aristotle put together. Don't even come close. The reliability of the New Testament, I mean, the, the, the Dead Sea Scrolls and others, it's been proven over and over again. But again, even if you reject that, history says that these things happen. Josephus and others. So, finally, drop down to verse 14. So we answer the skeptics, and we see in history that it's true. Okay, it's true, Randy. Here's my point. Truth matters. Truth matters. So you got answers for the skeptics. you got answers in history. I want you to be real honest for the next few moments. These answers are for you. You, as an individual. Why do I follow Jesus? Because I, it's a better option than something else? Or because he's the truth. Truth alone sets you free. Look at verse 14. It'll give you true faith. Verse 14. If Christ is not risen, our preaching is empty, your faith is empty. Verse 16. If the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. Verse 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most to be pitied. And I think that's true. If we're following a lunatic, as C.S. Lewis said on the order of a poached egg, we should be pitied. We should be pitied. But we have faith in the truth. And we've been set free. Secondly, most important to us is we have true forgiveness. Look at verse 17. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins, exclamation point. That's Paul's biggest point. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, you're not saved. Your sins aren't forgiven. If he didn't rise from the dead, you, you are going to pay for your sins. And the other thing is, you don't. we have a future in Christ. Verse 18, those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. We have a future. See, the people you love that were Christians that have passed away, your loved ones, other friends who knew Jesus were believers. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we don't have any hope to see them again because it's a lie. But if he did, but if he did, we have hope in reunion. Verse 20, maybe the most exciting verse in the entire Bible. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. First fruits. That's a harvest term from the Old Testament. They had a whole festival to celebrate it. And it means this. The harvest begins, and there's a lot more to come. But now Christ is risen from the dead. So you have faith. You have forgiveness. You have a future because Jesus rose from the dead. It's not just our celebration, our choice. It's history. It's the truth. He sets free. Nobody else can. Years ago, Ruth Tucker was doing evangelistic services in Chicago. And he was talking about Jesus and how he gives you peace and hope and you'll be saved, he'll set you free. And after one of the meetings, a guy came up to him and said, you wouldn't say that if your wife had just died like mine has and you've got your children home crying for their mom and she's not there. That week, Ruth Tucker's wife was killed in a train wreck same week he's standing doing her funeral standing beside her casket he's looking at her 
and he turns at the end of the funeral and he says to the audience, a few days ago a man said to me, that if your wife had died like mine has, you couldn't stand here and say that. I can tell you to here today, standing next to my wife, casket, I do believe. He does set free. I do have hope. I do have forgiveness because Jesus rose from the dead. And I hope that man hears that one day. The man was in attendance at the funeral, came down to the casket, and gave his life to Christ. You see, only Jesus can set you free. challenge to you, truth matters. Not just historically, not just to skeptics. It matters to you. People you deal with, interact with every day, our friends that are having their convention downtown, deep within them as a human being, they're searching for truth. Everybody is. Because God made us that way. Jesus is the truth. And as Augustine said, he's the only one that can fill that void the only one. Bow your heads, please. Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ is risen. We celebrate that today. I pray we celebrate that every day because truth matters. That Jesus rose from the dead. So we can have heaven. We can have peace. We can have hope. We can have meaning in life right now because Jesus rose from the dead. We thank you, Father, that he did. Pray we would share that with our world because it matters. It's the only way it's going to, things are going to change. <coughs> it's one life at a time because Jesus is the truth. So I pray, Lord, if there's somebody today here that is a skeptic, they would examine that evidence and say to Jesus, I do believe. Forgive me. Save me. I need hope. I need peace. For those of us that are born again, we would take that challenge. We would live it. Truth matters. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.